We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Bellato. Whew, what a whirlwind, man. This past month has been absolutely crazy. It wraps up yesterday with the culmination of the 2023 NFL Draft, a podcast the day we average in April, Nick. I feel like March wasn't too far behind that. It's been a lot of work all culminating in this one moment where the Giants have their 2023 draft class. So before we get into what today's show is going to be about, which is going to be a recap of the day three draft picks, plus a few notes on the UDFAs that have been reported so far, uh, just to be clear and upfront about the UDFAs, there's not like any confirmation. I don't think yet from the Giants. These are all just reports about players who have signed with the Giants. So some of these guys may not be accurate. We'll, we'll have to wait and see what the Giants say about that. And I think Nick has plans to do a UDFA deep dive, which is something that he will be covering because he never sleeps. I will be catching up on sleep. I'm actually going away this next week. I'm taking, I decided I would take two weeks off because I never get time to take off from my main job. Um, because now that we're doing different things in the summer that I used to not be in control of and not responsible for. I never actually have time to take off. So I plan to have two weeks after the draft. So some of it will be spent in Arizona. I'm going to meet up with Nick um, and then some of it out in Vegas. So Nick will be handling the UDFA deep dive, but we have more content coming just as a heads up uh, outside of that. We're going to have an interview next week with John Schmelk of giants.com. That's going to be an overlook of the draft. After this podcast, we're going to do what we did last year too, which is a 30,000 foot overview of the draft. What did the Giants accomplish? What did the Giants miss? Where do they stand now type of thing? And then as the coming weeks come, we might do some deep dives on the big three players in this class, the ones most likely to make an impact and other content like that. We plan to do draft reviews like we did last year, which is breaking down the NFC East first and then going division by division just to take an overview and an overlook of how other teams did in the draft relative to the Giants. But without further ado, Nick, how are you doing today? And did you get any sleep at any point? I got a little bit of sleep last okay. night, but I was watching some of those UDFAs who were reported because some of them are pretty exciting. Maybe they'll make the team. We'll have to wait and see. You know, last year, Timon Fox was a UDFA that I liked out of North Carolina. He ended up having an impact and playing, I think, might have been less than 300 defensive snaps, but still he had an early down roll. And I feel like there was some potential with a player like that. And then these day three picks, I've been watching film on them. I haven't gotten to the kid from Old Dominion yet, but I'm looking forward to getting my hands on that tape and I will soon. And then I'll report back and give a nice detailed breakdown on what he will offer Wink Martindale and the New York Giants. Yep. So we'll get into all of that. Let's start with what the Giants did on day three. So just to give a brief overview, remember the Giants had already traded two of their day three picks on day one when they moved up for Deontay Banks. And then they traded another one of their day three picks, their most premium capital day three pick, uh, their fourth round pick when they moved up for Jalen Hyatt in round three. So their first pick was deep into round five. 
and it was pick number, I'm blanking on 172 with Eric Gray, the running back out of Oklahoma. What they did here was something that Nick and I have been clamoring for for a long time, dating back to last year when it didn't exactly happen, and that's draft a running back, right? And this class was even more pronounced in the talent level in this class. Eric Gray was the 11th running back to come off the board in this class, and you still feel like you got a guy who could potentially be an impact player for the Giants in year one. And now, when we rolled past day two, Nick, I wasn't certain that when we got to this pick, we were going to have a potential impact player. If you remember back to last year, the Giants got Dane Belton, who didn't really make much of an impact in year one, played some snaps, then was benched. They got players after that were injured, so you can't really judge them. Marcus Marcus McKethan and um, the kid I'm blanking on, the linebacker. Yeah, Darian Beavers, who got injured in the preseason. Nothing you can do about those things, but obviously, you know, not much of an impact usually in my mind once you get into the 170s, but I really feel like this guy can make an impact in year one. And it's an interesting bet, in my opinion, so we'll start there, Nick. It's somewhat of an outlier for what Joe Sheen has done in the past, and I think this is partially why we may have overlooked him somewhat in our pre-draft analysis. I know, Nick, neither you or I really talked about him much in any of our podcasts, wasn't one of our really sleeper running backs. But I think that was a mistake by me because he was always someone who was on my radar, but I guess I just saw that 4-6-2, and or it wasn't even that. I just feel like kind of got overlooked in the process. And then now that I'm watching him a lot since we've drafted him, I feel really confident in this pick. But let's start by talking about how it's an outlier pick because for Joe Shane in the past, he had leaned on age and he had leaned on athleticism. Now, I I think that Gray's athleticism is better than stated, but I understand how it's not like Israel Abacant, the guy from Pitt, whatever you pronounce that dude's (laughs) last name, right? Or Sean Tucker, who people are just looking at and being like, these are the athletes. These dudes are athletes late in the draft. Even a Chase Brown who I wanted the Giants to get, was an athlete. Uh, this guy's not as much of an athlete. I think he's more of a game film guy. Like, this is a bet on game film, which I thought was really interesting. He's going to be 24 years old this season, so he's older for a running back. But good point made to me by David Goodman. He said, look, if we're doing what we should be doing, which is recycling run, rookie, uh, recycling running backs after their rookie contracts and not resign them to second deals, it doesn't really matter how old the prospect is, really, because you're not going – like, he'll be 28 by the end of this contract, right? But that doesn't – that's it. And then you move on. You get the next guy. So I think that made a good point. He graded out as a uh, as a top 10 running back, Nick, according to Pro Football Focus, both in the running grade and the receiving grade. He dropped just two passes in 90 catchable passes over his last 90, with according to PFF. Short hands, big hands. He had 21 attempts of 15-plus yards last year, which was 10th most among all running backs. Uh, not just the running backs who entered this draft class. And I think that's kind of what he is, a singles and doubles hitter. I like this selection, Eric Gray. All right, now he doesn't have breakaway speed. That's something that we have to kind of get out of our heads. He is quicker than he is fast, but I love his vision, his patience, his elusiveness in the alley. And I know he played in the Big 12, and he also played in the SEC if you want to go back and check out his Tennessee tape. His first two years was at Tennessee. His last two years was at Oklahoma. He left Tennessee after Jeremy Pruitt was fired. Giant great, Jeremy Pruitt. But this is somebody who has that ankle-breaking type of suddenness in the alley, and he made a lot of Big 12 Alley defenders, safeties coming downhill look absolutely silly. And I don't think it's just because they're big 12 defenders. I think this guy is a difficult assignment to tackle in a phone booth because he is very slippery. I think he has three down potential. I think he runs low, which assists his contact balance. And he has really quick and efficient feet. When he's spinning, dude, there's no wasted movement. Like this is somebody who can come to balance after being redirected, whether that be off of a spin or off contact. So there's a lot of little nuanced things about Eric Gray's game, specifically his vision as well, his ability to anticipate what linebackers are doing and then find the cutback lane, as well as a really impressive jump cut and juke move. He sticks his foot in the ground and his head is going 
very hard towards the direction that he wants the defender to think that he is going into and then explodes right off that foot. And it's very, very quick. That's why I think he is quicker than he is fast. I think he can do a lot of damage from the short to intermediate parts of the field. But once he gets into space, he's not breaking away from anybody. He has modest acceleration. He does not really have long speed. I don't feel like he is a pile mover. He's not somebody who was going to run into the a gap and then just push the pile. That's not really his frame. He's 207 pounds. He's five foot nine, but he's not really a big bulky type of guy. He's not Roshan Johnson out there. That small frame also kind of hindered his upside as a blocker a little bit as well, but he tries his ass off as a blocker and he identifies the blitz pretty well, locates it. I saw that several times on tape. So there was a lot to appreciate about Eric Gray. And I actually came away liking his tape. I had the privilege of watching him pre-draft. So he was on my radar because I watched a decent amount of Marvin Mims and I saw zero and I had a couple plays cut up of him in the archives on my computer as well. Just these silly jump cuts against Iowa State. I watched this game against Iowa State probably months ago. So I remember that number zero out there doing his things. I think the Giants got themselves a good football player who has the potential to play on three downs. And I think he could be if Saquon Barkley is not here in the future beyond 2023. I think he could be 1B in a committee. I think that's very fair too. And that's, I think his impact could come as soon as this season, as far as a one yeah. A or one B um, potential. And then, and then again, we will, we should, we should be upfront that Gary Brightwell was pretty good on film last year. I don't want to just write him off. Like we didn't expect much out of him when they drafted him. We thought he would be more of a special teamer, but then he showed a lot last season in that first year in the Brian Dable Kafka system, almost to the point where it's like, he maybe made that mental hurdle, that mental jump with that, with the, with that coaching staff with Dable and Kafka. So I don't want to write him out. Brita has his role. I think as, kind of what he served as last year that wing back style you bring him in for the pony package you add speed to the field he has in in some ways i mean we'll see with barkley but and i don't want to say that he's the the fastest back besides barkley on the roster right now i would say in matt breed and eric gray is not going to be that he's a 462 athlete and you might ask yourself after hearing that evaluation nick gave like why would this guy ever go to the fifth round if he looks that good on tape and he had the production to back it up because if you look at the numbers, man, like he was one of the most productive backs in football last year in college football. Now, I think part of that, you know, you look at the system and you think that there, there is something there that he was buoyed a little bit by that Oklahoma system um, and running from that. But overall, the production was just pretty incredible. You talked about before. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned the total yards he had there, but he had a 90.6 grade from pro football focus. That was top 10 in both rusher and receiver. He also, um, him and Zach Charbonnet were the only power five running backs, according to pro football focus who earned top 10 grades as a receiver and a runner. So it's a complete profile. He was the fourth most valuable running back, according to PFF's win above average me- metrics. That's their war metric. They're trying to essentially like, I guess, duplicate war in baseball on the football level, which I, it's early on. So I wouldn't use that. You know, I would take that as with a grain of salt because they probably need to work on that. And, and you know, we need more data and to see if that's translatable, but it is interesting because you watch him and you're like, this is a big part of what the Oklahoma offense did last season. He was incredibly effective as a runner. So you ask yourself, like, why would this guy not be an early round pick, right? Why would he not be a, a top pick? And I think it's all projection based, Nick. I don't really think it's just the 40 time. I think this was the player who was supposed to be at least reported by Oklahoma as a 215 pound running back. And he shows up at the combine at 205. And I think with his skill set, Nick, To me, this is actually a running back, the rare case where I would actually like him to pack on muscle and pounds, because I think if he gets up to actually 215, 220 range, he can 
because his whole style, like you said, it's quickness over speed, right? It's that ability to use his moves, to set up his blocks. His vision is incredible. You watch him. He's a smooth accelerator. He gets in and out of his breaks. And it looks like somebody who knows the position really well and who's played it a long time. But if you also add 15 pounds to his frame or 10 pounds to his frame, let's just say, let's not say 15, let's say 10 pounds to his frame of muscle. Now, when he's making those moves and getting to contact, he's going to be able to bounce off some of those tackles at the NFL level that he wouldn't otherwise be able to at 205. And if he's able to bounce off those contacts, now he's adding second part, part to his game. Right now, he's a guy who can force missed tackles in open space. After that, he also becomes a guy who can create yards after contact. And I think the contact balance is really good right now. But at the NFL level, against NFL level linebackers, defensive ends, and safeties, you're going to need a little bit more than contact balance. You're going to need a little bit more punch and pop. And it's just, you know, force is just, what is it? Mass times speed, right? That's what force is. So add more mass to that. And now you're going to be able to also create yards after contact at the NFL level instead of just force missed tackles. And that's the one concern outside of the deep speed that I have with him as far as translating to the next level goes. And it is translating to the next level because in the big 12, he, oh, he ranked, did it. Yeah. Yeah. He ranked 18th among all draft eligible running backs in college football in terms of yards after contact. And I have this written down, man. Like I feel like his low center of gravity presents a very tough target for defenders and that assists his contact balance. But what he lacks in breakaway speed, he makes up for an in instincts and short area athletic ability. I feel like his short area athletic ability, it might not test off the charts, but it pops up on film. Like I was kind of talking about before, and that allows him to run through arm tackles and bounce off of tackles and contort his body in a way similar to Tajay Spears, only not nearly as dynamic in terms of his breakaway speed and things like that. His low nature really sets him up for success. And when he runs behind bigger offensive linemen, he can hide pretty well. He does like little things like that. That was embarrassing. Yes, you watched me spill water all over my sweatshirt. Uh, we're just going to have to deal with that for the rest of the show. This is a, a little quirk with these Trader Joe's bottles of water that I buy. They fill them like all the way up to the brim. So there's almost no possible way to open this without spilling it on yourself. You have to like be, do one of those things where you're like opening it with the freaking thing right out your mouth. So it's like these things are going to happen, but a little knock on you, Trader Joe's. You don't need to. I appreciate you giving us extra water here, a little more bang for the buck, but just fill it up a little less. Like start it off here where it's like, see what I mean? Like this is not as filled. That's where it should start. That's not where that's not where it should be after one sip and a spill. You got some tit dirt there, Dan. I do have a little tit dirt. Um, but yeah, I agreed entirely with what you said. It's it's a matter of like against Big 12 defenders, he's creating yards after contact. But remember, this is the Big 12, right? Like this is a really bad defensive conference. The worst in the NFL among, I'm sorry, the worst in college football among power five conferences. They're, they play three, three fives there. There's a lot of small players on the field. It's a very different game at the NFL level. I think that's there's that's you're looking for a reason why he dropped. It's not just the four six two because I think the forty yard dash in general is incredibly overrated for the running back. I know we've talked about this before, Nick, but like there's just so few opportunities for these guys to actually hit these you know fifty, sixty, seventy yard home run runs. Anyway, I'd rather the guy who's a doubles hitter like Eric Gray is. But I think you brought up some great points about his low center of gravity and how that helps him within you know with things like contact balance. But for me, what I really liked about watching Eric Gray was like what you'd mentioned the first, uh, in your first analysis. It's just that nuanced style of running. I think he processes really well. And that's what I like. Everyone can look at traits and say, are traits for a running back, the 40 yard dash, the size, the speed, I'm sorry, the frame, like a lot in the past, like when, when uh, football outsiders first came up, Nick, in the early analytics days, I don't know if you were following them at the time, but they came up with something called the speed score. Are you familiar with that? Not overly. Okay, so this was like early analytics days before Pro Football Focus. And according to them, the speed score, which is just simply put, 
It's just your 40 yard dash and your, and your weight. It's simply as that. And then that, that turns into a metric. It spits out a score. And at that time, cause it was early analytics days, the speed score really aligned with a lot of the success rates of the NFL. I know Brandon Jacobs was like a top tier speed score guy. Obviously that makes a lot of sense. He ran like a four. I think he ran like, did Jacobs run like a four mid four fours at two sixty? It was something absolutely insane. Someone I thought it was four or fives, but I could might've been four or fives, but like at two sixty. So, and I think there's some validity behind it because of what I mentioned before, which is just force, right? Speed times weight. It matters at the NFL level against NFL linebackers and safeties. But at the same time, we've learned over time, there are different things that can, that can, you know, find success at the NFL level. And I think processing is the most important trait that no one talks about ever when it comes to running back position. And it's that ability, like you said, to weave in and out of blocks, to set up your blocks, the patience, but also the decisiveness and the burst. And, the moves to set up to force missed tackles in open space. And I think Eric Gray has all of those in spades. In addition to the receiving work he has, I'm curious to get your take on him as a pass blocker, because I've seen that I've seen varying things as far as his pass blocking goes. I've seen he's a willing blocker, but at the NFL level at two Oh five, there's definitely some concern uh, for me, at least as a blocker. One more thing, just on his rushing style. Yeah. This is somebody who had 58 missed tackles forced, according to pro football focus that ranked 11th among all the draft eligible running backs and 23rd overall in the FBS. But just for context, B. John Robinson had 104, <laughs> which yeah. is absolutely insane. And I believe it set a pro football focus record in terms of, I don't think there's ever been anybody over a hundred. I think the closest was David Montgomery when he came out. Right. But this is somebody who can make you miss in a very, very tight and confined spaces. And there will be value in the NFL level when it comes to that. But in terms of the pass protection, he is somebody who can identify he is somebody who knows where to be. I don't think he's a dumb dumb in that manner. It's just, can you lose slow enough, similar to the tight ends of the line of scrimmage, to protect your quarterback? Because there were times where he got in the way, he gave him a little pop, and then after that, he gets tossed aside or just kind of gives the edge rusher an edge to run around. Typically, the quarterback got rid of the football in those situations against linebackers who were blitzing, or sometimes it was even against bigger defenders who were coming off the edge. So I know there's a willingness there, but I don't know if he's going to step into the NFL and be like, yeah. Oh, this guy, we could trust him in pass protection right away. But if he knows where to be and he is smart and he can take to that, which according to Oklahoma's coaching staff and according to, I mean, imagining Joe Shane, since they selected him, you know, they're smart, tough, and dependable. He more than likely is. I think the rest will, will come. At least he has the desire and the mental processing to put himself in a position, but he might need to just work on staying in front and adding a little bit more sand to his ass to hold up against freaking NFL linebackers right. coming through the A-gap. That's the biggest thing for me. I really do think, and I, I, again, I've said this before, I'm generally not a fan of running backs adding weight, but this is one example where I think it really will benefit him to add weight because I don't really care what happens to his long speed at this point. I'm, I'm more concerned about like, how does his type of body type translate against NFL level talent? He's, he's not a fast he's guy. Small. He's, he's not, not fast, but he's also small. That's the thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He's not, he's not going to break away, but that doesn't mean he can't find space and he can't create space. He creates space. Oh yeah. And another thing Joe Shane said too, which is important, talked about his receiving upside. And Brian yep. Dable was also like, when a reporter asked him about the receiving upside, he's like, let's get him out in the rookie minicamp first. And then we'll kind <laughs> of evaluate and see, which is what you should do. But he does have natural hands. It's not like Oklahoma was asking him to run crazy routes like Bijan Robinson was at Texas. I think he had one play where he aligned in the slot 
and him and Marvin Mims, they were in a bunch. They ran directly into each other, and it was really sloppy. Somehow, Eric Gray was able to cut across the middle of the field, create separation, and he caught, like I think it was like a 20-yard pass on that play, and he was aligned out wide. I don't think that's going to be something that he's going to hit the ground running in the NFL. He was mostly just a, hey, I'm a check down option for you. Give me the football. And he was sufficient right. in doing so. And once you get him the football in space, like I said, he can create space despite not having elite long speed because he has the agility and the quickness and a lot of the traits that you want in your starting running back. Yeah, and I feel like it even goes beyond just the agility and the quickness. I know you mentioned already, but it's worth reiterating. It's that just savviness that. I don't even know how to describe it, right? Like when you watch these runners, you know, too, Nick, it's, it's instincts. It's instincts, right? That, that's the best way to describe it. Instincts and processing. And those are two terms that people hear. And, and, I've, and I've heard them ask me before, and I've seen them in your replies as well, Nick, and be like, can you define that? And it is a little bit harder to define, I think, than some of these other traits. Like you can look at a 10 yard split and be like, he had this 10 yard split. And you see it right on the on the film, right? It's like acceleration through the hole. But I think there's a little bit more to his game. But looking at his athletic profile a little bit deeper, he did it wasn't like the total, you know, he has a 6.56 RAS score, which isn't great. I think it was 602 out of 1,745 running backs that have been tested in this, in this regard since 1987. So a little above average there though, still not terrible, but it's weighed down a lot by his size and weight, by his height and weight and bench press, right? These are things that the bench press only 14 reps. That's not excellent for a running back. You want to see somebody who has a little bit more upper body strength for sure, especially at 205 pounds. And I think that's my one concern. Like I'm so much more concerned with his, I guess, size profile translating to the NFL, Nick, than I am with the 40 yard dash, because I don't really care about the home run speed, but is this guy going to be a Ramondre Stevenson? Obviously they're not comparable at all, but like, is he going to be able to make an impact like that type of back who doesn't have long speed? Or is it going to be more of like a Moel D Moore, which I'm fine with. And that's, I have heard people compare him to Moel D Moore and that's good, but a Moel D Moore is more of your one B I think than ever being your one A. I think he is more of a one B. Right now. I mean, that's kind of what I'm imagining. I think there's going to be somewhat of a transition because of the difference in speed from the Big 12 to the NFL. And if you watch Eric Gray, yeah, he creates a lot of space for you, but he's also flashing that spin move. He is just pressing B like he's just pressing B like crazy. And there's going to be times where he presses B and he might spin off a defensive back, but there's going to be a pursuit defender who's going to be right in his face and he's going to take him off of his feet. And one thing I like about Eric Gray is he does come to balance really quickly and he can get north right after he hits that spin. But in the NFL, everything is so much quicker. And I don't know how how often you're going to get away with that. I think it's one thing he has to be cognizant of, but overall I do feel like he has the upside to be a solid one B for you and somebody who can get you four, five, six, right. seven yards carry in certain situations because he understands how to sift through traffic and find really narrow creases where he can get skinny through them. And he has a type of spatial awareness to know where the pursuit defenders are. He has a type of, I would say foot control. If you want to use some kind of um, like random adjective right there to avoid the trash, right? Cause he's very bad balanced and coordinated when he is kind of stepping around the line of scrimmage and there's body parts just falling everywhere and he's got to not step on them to keep himself upright and he does a pretty good job doing that yeah and you talked about we talk about sometimes when we're talking about pass rushers how they have they come into the nfl like bj jolari is a good example with a with a diverse pass rushing package i feel like this guy comes into the nfl with a diverse run package whatever you want to say it like it's not just the spin move he also has the movie that we referenced earlier where he sticks his leg in the dirt plants and gets the defender to go one way and then he cuts back the other way and this is different than some of the other runners i've watched like sean tucker was someone for example everybody told me you're gonna love tucker watch tucker and there are aspects of tucker's game i like but i didn't feel like he was 
I feel like I'm watching totally different running backs when I watch like an Eric Gray versus Sean Tucker. Sean Tucker's plant, get his foot in the dirt, get vertical and use his speed and power to, to attack these defenders head on. This is not what Eric Gray is going to be. Eric Gray wants to avoid you, right? Like he's not going straight forward, like you're saying, and pushing a pile. He's trying to avoid every tackle he can with a wide array of moves. And it almost reminds me of like those pass rushers come in with a wide pass rushing move. He's got counters to his running. He's got, you know, different times where he's tempoing his running. He's either hitting it decisively or he's waiting for the blocks to process. And he's seeing the defender that he knows he needs to set up with a spin move, like you said, or that, you know, plant his leg in the dirt and just go a different direction. It's really interesting to watch him. Well, think about who the Bills drafted in the third round of the 2019 draft. Oh, Singletary, you're making that comp. I kind of like that comp, but he's a smaller version of Singletary, I think. Well, Singletary's pretty small. I believe he's a little bit denser, but in terms of yeah, height. Dense, yeah, no, not height. Just, yeah, yeah. just all weight. Eric Gray might be a little bit more slippery than Devin yeah. Singletary, but Devin Singletary also was somebody who ran like a 4.65, fell right. to the third round, and they thought there was a value there. But I remember watching his tape, and I was like, I feel like he plays faster than 4.65. I think within the first 5 to 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, Eric Gray is the same way. But once he gets into space, linebackers are like tracking this guy down. Like pursuit guys are coming from the backside and getting him. Is he going to hit a home run? I do not envision that at the NFL level. He's, I don't want to say he's slow footed. He's not, he just doesn't have breakaway speed and his acceleration is rather modest, but I think you can kind of see the similarities between a Devin Singletary and an Eric Gray. And honestly, Devin Singletary, people are like, oh, that's gross. I don't, I don't think so. I think you get that guy in the third round and he yeah. filled a role on a very competitive team for the bills throughout his entire rookie contract. So in my mind, that's kind of a win. Yeah, really. I mean, first of all, Darren Singletary not only filled the role, he stayed on the roster and produced, yeah. right? Like a lot of these guys you take in round five and six and seven don't even make the roster or make it for one year and then they get cut or just make it and play special teams the whole time. Devin Singletary played actual snaps on the offense. And that's if you can get that at Eric Gray, that's a good thing. And you mentioned how and I like this, how you mentioned this, how he you know, he's not going to outrun you, but he is very good or at least quick and ex accelerating. And that is actually backed up by the athletic testing. Again, not the best athletic profile, but 10-yard split, 155, that's in the green, according to the RAS, and that's relative to the rest of the class. It's not the best ever. It's not, you know, A-Chain's 149 or whatever. But as you mentioned before the podcast, Nick, it's like close to B. John Robinson's, and that's not to compare the two because B. John Robinson has so many other aspects of his game. But yeah. it shows you that he it does have that initial quickness. And, there's, and the shuttle was 4-1, which was good. Though I always find this weird when I see this with an athlete, Nick. He had a great shuttle time and then a hard – a, at least according to RAS, a low three cone time, which is just so weird. I think when they, when and the same thing goes for his vertical versus broad, his vertical jump was good. His broad jump wasn't so good. So I just find those, those uh, things pretty, or his broad jump was more average. Um, so I just find that always interesting in a player's profile, but yeah, this is definitely a running back. Who I'm very intrigued by, and you mentioned the passing game. Like I said, just two drops in 90 of his last catchable targets. That to me is really important because he also comes in with big hand size, 9.75 hands, which doesn't always, translate i think somebody brought up to me darius slayton has big hands and he's obviously not the best uh you know hands catcher but that to me is uh, there's other aspects to his game right it's like when you compare the two things up like okay eric gray has the hand size and he has the proof on film that he's catching the passes that are coming his way it's different with slayton who has the hand size but you know even dating back to his auburn days you saw that drops were an issue with slayton all the way back to auburn one other thing about eric gray with just their list off his stats he had over 1,300 yards rushing this past season, averaged 6.4 yards per carry with 11 touchdowns, had 33 catches for 229 yards, ended his college career with over 800 yards receiving on 99 catches with five touchdowns. 
Started 24 or 47 games throughout both the colleges that he was at, which was Tennessee and Oklahoma, as I brought up before. And one thing that I really liked about at least his Oklahoma tape when I was watching him, they ran a lot of different types of rushing styles and rushing schemes. They were power gap. They were zone on those stretch wide outside zone type of plays. I felt like he did an excellent job finding the backside cutback lane, and it really did not take him too long at all to gather his steps because when you're running that, like you're keeping your eyes active, you're looking to the play side, you're trying to find your cutback lane on that outside zone type of run. But when you find the cutback lane, you got to gather your moment. You got to stop your momentum, gather yourself and then explode and get North. He really limited his gather steps in order to do that. And I do see the burst he ran a one five, five, which is solid. I see the burst through the line of scrimmage. It's just, again, at the second level, it's not quite there. So I like how he ran the outside zone scheme. Giants don't run a ton of outside zone, but when you watched him empower cap, bro, he knew how to follow his blocks. He knew how to tempo his run, right? It's not just, I have the football. I need to go. Like he will really slow himself down. And then he sees the block. He sees the linebacker scrape over top. He knows his blocker is going to get him. And then he attacks where the linebacker was. And that kind of goes to the patience and the vision that we were talking about. So he kind of takes all of those traits that we've been mentioning, you know, the patience, the vision, the ability to sift through traffic, the ability to follow his blocks, the ability to anticipate what the defenders are doing. And he uses it to his advantage from the line of scrimmage to about five yards. And that's one of the reasons why I think this could be a guy, despite not having elite speed, who can average four 4.5 4.5 yards per carry in a solid offense. Really valuable. And I, that goes back to your Singletary comp. Like Singletary, despite you know not getting the credit for it, he averaged around that for the Bills throughout his career, I believe, in the four fives range. Um, never dipped too far below that. And I like how you bring up how he ran in that diverse scheme. I thought, and I think you just kind of, uh, I, I was thinking it right when you said it, and then you obviously did a great job of confirming it. I thought he ran better when they ran power gap type concepts. And as you yeah. said, now, a lot of what he did was out of the shotgun, which I think is something interesting. We're going to have to see how that translates to the NFL. The Giants run some shotgun runs more than we expected last year, but they also run a lot from under center. That was still a big part of their game last season. We'll see how that develops, right? The offense might be a lot more shotgun heavy in general this year than we expect, as we saw that transition down the stretch with the passing game become with us becoming a pass first offense out of the gun. And there might be more of that, but Definitely something to keep an eye on. Most of his runs are out of the gun, but I agree with you on the power gap runs. That's where I really see the combination of the traits I like the most from, which is the vision, the tempoing, as you mentioned, the mental processing, and also that thing you said that like, I love to see with these running backs that are five foot nine or smaller. It's sometimes they just, it seems like they're just getting lost behind there. They have such good uh, pad level that they they're running so low that you can see them sometimes get lost behind there. And if you're a linebacker trying to sift through that, you lose where Eric Ray is. And before you know it, he's got that, like you said, that acceleration just bursts through. Now he gets that second level and that's when, you know, he might make a spin move. He might make what, what he might stick his leg in the dirt and juke someone out. That's when after that, that's when I don't see too much more after that. Like he'll make that guy miss, but then that's when at the NFL level, it's like, are you going to create a lot more after that? Are you going to take it to the house? Not something I think he'll do, but I think he can live in that like seven to 15 yard range for the Giants. But yeah, very excited about this pick. I just feel like it's a very good value pick. And more importantly for me, at least Nick, looking at it more 30,000 foot view, what did we say the whole process? Or what did I say even more than you? And I know you agree with me, but I was pounding the table for this and I still am. I needed to come away with a running back in this class. I just needed to, man. There was too much talent at the running back position. There was too much of a need, in my opinion, for the Giants, although they have Saquon Barkley. 
I wanted more talent at the running back position. And thirdly, I just believe in the idea of consistently investing in running backs. My whole thing with running backs is it's not that I don't believe the position is valuable, Nick. It's just I believe you should be recycling it on rookie contracts and you should be getting new talent in all the time because it's a position that as you age, it gets worse and worse and worse. It's like the the more so than any other position. It's the downward trend of that of that yeah. chart you see. And it's just going down with age. And so keep investing in the young guys with bursts, with talent that haven't been injured, that haven't been hit a lot. And Eric Gray is going to be one of those players for them. How about Old Dominion, bro? Yep. Zach Koontz, Saldaveri, Trey Hawkins. If you want to put Keon White in there, even though Pretty he was cool. Georgia Tech, a lot of players being selected from that program. Oshane Zimenez is smiling somewhere. I was just going to say, Oshane Zimenez kind of put them on the map a little bit as far as the draft goes. And don't quote me on it. There might have been other Old Dominion players drafted <laughs> in before or in between Oshane Zimenez. But yeah, this draft was really good for that program. Whoever's the coach there is clearly doing a good job as far as the development goes. And that takes us to our next pick for the Giants, their sixth round pick, Trey Hawkins the third, the cornerback out of Old Dominion. Now, this is a pure bet on traits kind of pick, which I love by Joe Sheen. Like I've said before in the past, there's two camps, and this is not what I've said. Jer Daniel Jeremiah said it as far as recently as the NFL uh, network broadcast. For those of you listening on day three, he said, once you get to this range of the draft, there's two camps. And he actually said it, honestly, Nick, he felt like in this class, and we'll get into this on the next podcast, but it started in round four, actually, for him. But once you get into the round five, round six range in a typical class, you get two camps. You either get the camp that wants to bet on the production of these players or the camp. And, and in that, that could be players who they feel uh, were productive in, in certain aspects of their game that translate to the system or the people who want to just bet on traits and bet on the idea that if we get our, co if our coaches get our hands on this kid, we can turn him into a player. He may not be that player yet on film, whatever, but if we get our hands on somebody with these kind of traits, we can turn them into something. And that's exactly what they try, what they're trying to do here with Trey Hawkins in the sixth round. He's just a tear, uh, a tad under six foot two, which is excellent length. 188. I think he can add to that frame for sure. I think he'll probably play close to around 200 for the giants. If they get him in the weight room and they get him going there. 17, 17 bench press reps is actually really good. Arm length, 32 inches. Not, not, not the best ever, but solid there. Vertical jump, 37 and a half inches. Broad jump, almost 11 feet. Those are all in green. 4-4-2, 40-yard dash speed. Remember, this is a stopwatch position corner, especially if you're going to play in Wink Martindale's system with a lot of press man coverage. You're going to need to be fast. You're going to need to have the ability to recover. He has that at 4-4-2. The 20-yard split, elite 2-5. The 10-yard split, elite 1-5-2, or just below elite there. And the three-cone, which really intrigued me, Nick, is also an elite range at 6-7-4, which shows at least that he should have the ability to change directions. So this is a... Excellent traits based pick, I think. According to RAS, Nick Trey Hawkins, the third is the four had the 40th best athletic score coming into the NFL out of 2,222 cornerbacks from 1987 to 2023. So, this dude is certainly the, the you know, the athletic guy and, and also special teams. I think he's going to be able to do that right away, and that's something you're looking for when you're taking these six round picks. That's what Joe Shane said, too, after the draft. He said he's going to carve out a role on special teams, and he's the exact body type that Wink Martindale is looking for. And 32 and one-eighth inch is actually good. Anything over 32 inches at cornerback, that's desirable for specifically a press man scheme, but really any scheme. So he has north of 32-inch arms, and that six seven four three cone is what really sticks out to me. And I'm eager to get to his tape, and I will, like I said earlier in the podcast, get there and be comprehensive on our coverage of what this guy can do in between the lines. But just off of the cuff, 
This is somebody who transferred from Trinity Valley Community College. So he only spent two years at Old Dominion. You're betting on the traits. You're betting on the upside. He was a fifth year senior, but I'll say this. You could nail this pick just based on the athletic ability and the fact that at this point in the draft, if he is a special team stalwart for you, that's a home run right there. But I right. think there's more upside to a player like this. I'm not basing that on film. I'm basing that on athletic ability. I'm basing that on even the fact that he's coming from a smaller program, that there's not a ton of tape out there on this player, and the fact that the Giants got to know him because they had a top 30 visit with Trey Hawkins III. So they were really sniffing around with this player. And when he was there in the sixth round, I'm betting Joe Shane was really happy about it. So I'm really buying into this kid and I'm just excited to see his tape. And I think a few other things to talk about with Trey Hawkins are one, you're betting on the idea that our coaching can unlock. Like you are betting on our coaching with a pick like this, right? You're betting on Jerome Henderson. You're betting on Wink Martindale. And I think from what we saw last season, Nick, these are good bets to make. You could say that about a lot of corners, right? You could think of it like, oh, wouldn't you be betting on that if you draft any corner here? But I'm not so sure that's the case. If you draft a max out corner, like think about what we've done at times in the past with different regimes, right? Corey Ballantyne, for example, right? He was not a bet on traits guy. If you look at Corey Ballantyne's athletic profile, it doesn't at least not for a press man scheme. And that's a different scheme back then, but he's not the same as Trey Hawkins. And even watching him on tape and with the giants specifically, he was a player who I thought athletically was very limited. And that was a big reason why maybe he didn't work at the NFL level, but obviously with all these six round picks, you're not expecting them to all work. So I think that's something interesting. They're making the move away from that type of corner and toward a bet on trade type player. Also, I thought what was interesting thing about his profile was he had a school record last season, 76 tackles, a school record among cornerbacks. I mean, look, that shows that he has the physicality that shows that part of his profile is he's going to be willing, a willing and able tackler. And I think that's super important as well in this scheme. And this goes to, we can talk about this more on tomorrow on, on the next podcast, Nick, but I think there's clearly an idea in mind that Wink Martindale has that Joe Shane has, and that Jerome Henderson has as far as what they want moving forward in corners. They inherited some corners for sure. Darnay Holmes, Dory Jackson, but moving forward, I think they want length. It's really important then for to get length and physicality at the cornerback position. That's why I think this dude will eventually at six foot, just under six foot two, get up to 200 pounds, like with an NFL weight training program out of like, no offense to ODU, but like, are we really getting the best weight training program at ODU? Probably not versus what they're going to get at the giant, what you're going to get with the giants. And if I, when your job is just every day, you're not going to class. You're just literally a pro athlete. So I think you get up to 200 and, and then that's going to be similar in size and length and weight to Deontay banks. And now you have two corners on your roster, potentially if this dude makes the roster, I should say with Hawkins who brings size, length, physicality to that position with tackling ability. And that's something they're looking for. I think on these out with these outside corner prospects. Um, so I really like that too. It fits the style. Aggressive. Yep. What did Wink Martindale say when he arrived here in New York? Pressure breaks pipes. We want to dictate to the offense. And these long physical press type of cornerbacks who are not afraid to tackle. And you know what? You can group a Dory Jackson in there who you look at a Dory Jackson's profile coming out of USC. He doesn't scream like, hey, this guy's an aggressive tackler. But how many times did we go through the tape last year and be like, bro, this guy is an asset and run support. Yes. And Trust me, they need as many assets and run support as they can get because they sucked last year in run support. And I felt like the defense sucked even more once Dory Jackson got injured against the Detroit Lions. But I think Trey Hawkins fits that bill really well. And we'll see if he can earn a roster spot here in New York. You nailed that. And again, one other thing we'll probably talk a little bit more about on the next show, but it seems like the Giants have a type at all these positions and they're starting to really draft according to their type. Um, and so we'll get to that with the next guy too here, Jordan Riley, the interior defensive line they took out of Oregon at 243 overall in round seven, six foot five, 338 pounds, has the length, 
has the height, has the size. Not the best testing, 5'2", 840. But again, at 338 pounds, I would actually argue that's pretty good. 189, 10-yard split. 8213 cone is obviously not ideal for any prospect, but again, 338 pounds. Let's just keep this in mind while we before you kind of knock the guy for it. 25 inch vertical, 86 broad jump. These aren't huge, these aren't great things, but then you get to what they're really looking for. The 10 inch hands and the 33 and a half inch arm length and eight 81 and one fourth inch wingspan. And what did Joe Shane say right after the draft about this draft pick? He said, These are actually like Throw out all the athletic testing, the RAS score, the 10-yard split, the 40-yard dash. The traits that Wink Martindale actually wants in a defensive lineman are none of those things. What he wants are the ability to have the length and the size to push back, to knock back. That's what he's looking for, knock back from that position. And so if you're just focusing on the actual traits of what this guy could bring, he has that ability at 6 foot 5, 338 with that wingspan and, the, and those big 10 inch hands to have it to be a knockback interior defensive lineman. And so I'm interested to see if they can mold this guy. It's a seven round pick. Who knows? He'll compete with DJ Davidson for time. I'm sure they're very similar. They, they viewed him pretty similarly. And we'll see what happens with Davidson in the sense that like he is a fifth round pick. So maybe he has a little bit more draft capital tied to him. And he was injured last year. I think a lot of people are knocking Davidson. I see that a lot in the replies on Twitter and just calling him a boss and ruling him out, but like give the guy a chance uh, to be, to have one healthy season. I would say before we do that we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. So I've watched a lot of Jordan Riley. I spent a lot of last night going through his tape. I even watched some of his tape at Nebraska. This is somebody who spent time in four college programs, Yeah, which is pretty crazy. So he started his college career in 2017 and I couldn't find his age, but I'm imagining he is at least 24 teetering on 25. He started at North Carolina. And he's from North Carolina. And then he played in the first five games of his true freshman year, had to redshirt in 2018. And then he transferred to Garden City Community College. I'm not sure exactly why he transferred, but he did. He played one season there, and then he went to Nebraska. And then after his first season at Nebraska, I think his first season at Nebraska, he hurt his knee. And then he played another season, and he barely saw the field, so he transferred to Oregon. And he had a really solid role with the Oregon Ducks this past year. I think he played less than 400 total snaps, but he was the nose tackle in a 3-4, and Dan Lanning's 3-4 defense. And they ran also a lot of even type of fronts where he was the two technique and the two eye shade. So he has a lot of snaps at two eye shade and two technique. And basically his job was to eat double teams, anchor down, and allow his linebackers to scrape and flow over the top to make tackles. And he did that pretty well. This is a run defender through and through. He had 10 total pressures in his college career, not including the community college stop. Pro football focus doesn't count that. 
Mm-hmm. He has one sack and it was a covered sack. I saw it. Like the guy had the football, the quarterback had the football for like five and a half seconds. And then finally he got there. <laughs> I'll say he has heavy hands. He has very heavy hands. His pass rushing moves are very slow and deliberate, but there were times, the times that he actually used his pass rushing moves where he did create separation because his upper body strength is impressive. And when he plays with the correct technique, when he keeps his hips low and that pad level low, cause he's such a big guy, he can lock you out. He has very strong hands and his upper body strength can control blockers at the point of attack. I think he is different than DJ Davidson. I think this player, Jordan Riley is a better overall run defender. He is longer. I don't have that in front of me. I can look it up real quick. He's not yeah, as he's athletic longer because he has 33 and 3.75 inch arm length to yes. so, six foot five and a half. Yeah. So for David, DJ Davidson, slightly bigger hands, slightly shorter arms. Riley is taller. He weighs about 10 more pounds. And another thing about Jordan Riley that I felt like was interesting when he transferred to Nebraska, he reportedly cut about 30 pounds and got down to 305. And then when he went to Oregon playing in a more odd front type defense, he put that weight back on. So I'm imagining that you can probably mold him how you want him. I'm sure Wink Martindale wants him to be about as heavy as possible. Just wants him to sit in the one technique spot, two Y spot, the nose spot. And just freaking eat blocks. It's just funny. Like I know like just exactly what I think he wants him to do. Just play that <laughs> role where he's just eating up blocks. Like it's like the role we expected last year. Um, why am I playing? Justin Ellis. Yeah. The Justin Ellis role. Just do it better. Like <laughs> be able to hold up, be able to be strong at the point of attack. Use your knockback with your length. And I think that's, that's a fine role in the seventh round to be shooting for. Like some people might hear you say that only reason I'm laughing. And it's like, is that really all we're drafting this kid for? He has no pass rush upside at all, but that is an important role in a Wink Martindale defense. Oh yeah. It's a really important role. And here's my synopsis on him too. Jordan Riley is a massive sized interior defensive lineman who subscribes to the planet theory. His college football career was unconventional. He played within four programs and his first year in college was 2017. When he plays with good technique, he is a sure tackling. He didn't really miss a lot of tackles. Mind you, he is a sure tackling run defender who could earn a two down role. However, his consistency from one snap to another can improve. He doesn't offer much as a pass rusher, nor is he very explosive, but he can absorb blocks in the run game to allow linebackers to scrape and flow to the football. Riley is a developmental back end roster player who may be destined for the practice squad early, but will have the privilege of working under the tutelage of Andre Patterson, one of the best defensive line coaches in the NFL. And again, I think it's going to come down to DJ Davidson and Jordan Riley. And who do you prefer? I think Wink Martindale prefers a player like Riley because Davidson, like he wasn't a bad run defender at Arizona State. He had a little bit more pass rushing upside. I would say he's a little bit quicker off the snap. But if you just want guys to anchor in place and eat double teams, that's what Jordan Riley does. And he does it pretty well for a seventh round pick. Yeah, and that's going to give him a shot to make this roster. You never know with these sixth and seventh round picks if they're either going to make the roster in year one, get cut, but make the practice squad, which I think is likely for a lot of these players. Um, we'll see if he's one of them or if you know Hawkins is one of them. We'll, we will find out. I think Eric Gray is a good shot to make the roster despite being a late fifth round pick, which is not typically the case with late fifths. Those could even be practice squad guys sometimes, especially on a roster now with the Giants where – it's definitely deeper than it's ever been. It's deeper than it's been in a long time, I should say. And there's not as many roster spots available and up for grabs. Uh, but with that note, let's get into a few guys who are going to be competing for either roster spots or to make that 10-man practice squad. And those are the Giants UDFAs. Remember, You're getting Javarius Owens. Oh, shit. I forgot about Javarius Owens. We got one more guy competing. Another bet on trades pick, our, seventh, our, our second seventh round pick at 254 overall, Javarius Owens. Uh, let's take a look first at the traits since we're betting on traits here with Javarius Owens. Houston, safety. 
He had a 9.21 RAS score overall, which is 78 out of 976 free safeties from 1987 to 2003 or 23, obviously. 37 and a half inch vertical, really good. 10, uh, almost or 10, five broad, really good. Bench press height, weight were not were, were weighing down his overall athletic score, which shows he did well elsewhere. 20 yard split, two, five, three, very good. 10 yard split, one, five, four, very good. 40-yard dash, 4.57, not as good, but fine. And then the short shuttle and the three-cone, I think that was the really interesting thing here. 6.7 three-cone, Nick, that's elite. And a 4.08 shuttle, short shuttle, which is also elite testing. So definitely some really interesting traits here. I think the first thing that stands out, and I'm sure you're going to mention it first as well, Nick, is the tackling is an issue right now for him. And I wonder whether the Giants, like we just talked about how the Giants are looking for all these physical outside corners who bring physicality and tackling. Uh, I think they're looking for that from safety too. I would imagine from their defensive back. So this might be a situation where they believe they can, with the right coaching, with their coaching, help him fix his tackling issue. Absolutely. He is physical when he's coming downhill and he's hitting wide receivers or tight ends over the middle of the field. He packs a boom to him and he hits low. And I appreciate that. It's just in run support. It was a couple plays against, I think it was like SMU where it's like, he's playing tag the hip, which is something that you play install day three in training camp, you know, like something, I never heard that it's when you, when you go to tackle, when you're tackling as a defender, mm-hmm. an offensive player in practice, you're not going to nail him. You're not going to hit him. You're just going to get your head across his okay. hip and you're just going to tap his hip, right? Be like, okay, you'd be down here in this situation. And that's kind of what he did like twice in the SMU game. And I'm like, bro, what the hell are you doing? But I do feel like it's, it's not a, a mental issue that he has. It's not like, oh man, I'm scared of contact. I'm trying to do I don't want it's not that. It's just he thinks he can deliver the shoulder into the player and he just right. doesn't bring him down. He just needs to learn and this is correctable. Just wrap up. You have two arms, you have a body. If you wrap up, you can use that as basically a stalk to bring somebody down. That's called tackling. And there were times where he just did not do that. But he has range and I have this in my notes. He is physical when he does hit and when he does wrap up, he just needs to use the right technique. He played all over the place for Houston. He played in the slot, he played free safety. He played in the box in the corner as well. Right. I think so. I, I, I don't, I didn't have that written down. I didn't do my background research on him yet. I've just watched the tape, but the missed tackles were something that was really, really frustrating. The pursuit missed tackles were something that was frustrating where it would be him and a running back and he would have the angle and he was going to get him near the sidelines. And all he has to do is shove the guy out of bounds. But then it's like the running back just hit back juke. He just goes flying out of bounds and it's just like, bro, come on. So really it just comes down to just correct your tackling mechanics. You have Jerome Henderson. We speak very highly on Jerome Henderson. He has maximized a lot of players in the NFL. I think he can hopefully do that for a player like Owens. That must be corrected or he will not make this football team. So we'll have to wait and see, but he has the athletic ability and he has the range that I am looking for. One of the PBUs he had, I can't remember exactly which game it was. He was aligned maybe about three yards inside of the far hash and he was able to get himself over to the sidelines to force an incomplete pass now the throw maybe it was a little bit of a lollipop wasn't the best throw in the world but he still had the eyes and the anticipation to know to know what the quarterback was doing with the football knew the route that he was going to be responsible for so from a processing standpoint from everything i've seen so far and i still got a little bit more tape to watch i feel like it checks out i think he's a smart player 
He just really needs to fix that tackling. And I don't think it's a lack of desire. It's just really form and technique. Come to balance, drive through your target. Don't try to just lower your shoulder into somebody and throw yourself wildly at a player. And also when you're along the sidelines, use the sideline to your advantage and don't allow these running backs to back juke you to make you look silly. Yeah, it sounds like somebody who is a good athlete who's a little bit out of control right now, which at least for what the Giants are looking for, I think out of these seventh round picks, is probably fine because mostly I think they're looking for special teams impact, especially in year one um, and maybe in general from these types of picks in the late set 254 overall. So could he be a good special teamer in year one? I think that's going to be question number one for him. And that's where he's really going to have a chance to make the roster because what do we have? Like it's, there are open spots, I would say at the safety position, obviously with Julian, with Julian love leaving. Having said that there's only going to be probably four safeties kept on this roster. I would imagine as we head into the NFL season. So it's not going to be that easy for a safety to crack the roster, um, especially if they do bring in, which I think they might a, a veteran player around cuts. I, that's still my best guess for what the Giants are going to do. They're going to bring in someone who's a veteran who's played in a system similar to what Wink Barndell runs to, to play at safety. But remember, there's also some guys coming back like Pinnock is probably at, at this point, very close to a shoe in for the roster. I would, I would imagine. And he's also an asset on special teams. And that's right. what Owens and Hawkins are going to have to prove. Can oh, you yeah. play special teams? Because when you're one of these back-end roster guys, if you have no value on special teams, what the hell are you doing? You're out done. There? Yeah, right. Exactly. Because and that's another not... thing about yeah, Eric Gray, too. He like he doesn't have an extensive history, at least at Oklahoma, returning punts. And mm -hmm. I know, I think I looked it up on Pro Football Focus. Yes, he's a running back. And I feel like he did well from what I saw at the Senior Bowl handling punts. But he had two muffs in college, from what I saw, according to Pro Football Focus. And it wasn't like he had, you know, 40 kick returns and punt returns. Yeah, so small that sample size. Yeah. Small it's sample too, size. There's definitely something to give you pause about as far as will he make a special teams impact. I think he just has, a, at least a, out of the rest of these day three guys, the best chance of actually being like a dude they leave on the roster because they can actually give him carries or like, you know, use him in a game on offense or defense. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he's not going to make the team. No, I he know. is going to have that probably Gary Brightwell role because he they hand chose this player. Now, that's Gary the Brightwell, interesting thing too, though, right? Because like, are they going to keep four running backs this year? That is the interesting thing, and then it brings you into Matt Breida as well, right? Because that's like just, ah, that's that's tricky as far as Gray's role versus Breida and Brightwell. I would imagine they're probably hoping to only have three backs on their roster, so that might mean. Sayonara to Brightwell or Breed. I don't think we even considered that until now. Um, and if they're probably leaning toward one, the difference is though, it's like, can you really afford to get rid of Brito when he's your speed second back Brightwell when he's your best special teams guy at the running back position or gray, who you just invested a fifth round pick in and you like what he can offer you right away as a running back. I think Gray makes the team. And here I have his, his pro football focus from 2021 through 2019. Didn't return any punts in 2020 or kicks because he was the lead running back for Oklahoma. He had 13 overall returns. It says that means he was out there, I guess, 13 times. I'm not really 100% sure how to read into that. Or maybe he was back there, but he only got it four times. And he had 72 yards. So that's an 18 yards per average. That's for kickoff returns. But for punts, he fielded nine punts. He muffed two according to this is what it says so read into that what you may with a 5.2 yards per average and a 20 yard long which all happened at tennessee but the two muffs happened at oklahoma oh geez the oklahoma fans must have been so pissed and according to pro football focus he only had two returns so does that mean he muffed both of his returns if he only had two returns according to them i would think 
unless they don't count the muffs as a return, they just count as like a fumble. Yeah, I, I think know. that's what it is because it also says he had three fair catches for okay. Oklahoma, and he also yeah. had 25 fair catches in total. So he had 22 fair catches while at Tennessee. We're spending way too much time on Eric Gray's special teams. Yeah, but I understand because there is he does have to provide some kind of special teams value, I think. All right. And if not, he's going to have to look really good in camp as a running back, because like you said, those guys on the back end, if you're going to keep a breed as your RB2, they need to have some kind of special teams value to make the roster. Um, so that'll be something interesting to keep an eye on. I think let's move on to a brief overview of the UDFAs and we're not going to spend too much time here because we, uh, we want to, we're Nick's going to do a deep dive on them at some point this week. And these are all remember reports by either beat writers or something like that. So none of these are official yet. And let's start with the one that I'm most excited about Nick. And that's Bryce Ford Wheaton, the wide receiver out of West Virginia. It's a player. We did find a way to discuss a little bit in the pre-draft process as a pure, 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 pure bet on traits guy. That's what he is. So let's go over what those traits are with, with Bryce Ford Wheaton. He's six foot three and a half. He's got 33 and a half inch arm length, 9.375 inch hands, 221 pounds at the combine. So six foot three and a half, 221. That's a great size profile. That's an X size profile. That's something we don't have on the roster outside of Colin Johnson right now and Isaiah Hodgins, but neither of them are going to also combine what he offers, which is a 43840 yard dash. So those guys don't have that kind of speed. He does. He also, though, was really good in every other testing metric. It seems like 10 yard split, one, five, two. Like you just don't expect six foot three, 221 pound athletes, in my opinion, Nick, to have a one, five, two, 10 yard split. I don't see that all that often. 20 yard split, also great. The shuttle was really good. The, the three cone, not as good, but still a sub seven three cone for a 221 pounder dude is freaking good. Like you ask anyone, that's good. And then on top of that, a 41 inch vertical, amazing. A t almost 11 foot broad jump. Amazing. So he's basically the, the, the cookie cutter lab built athlete with the exception of just, if he was like an even better three cone, it would be as, it would be a simply perfect profile from an athletic standpoint for a wide receiver, but he goes undrafted. The production wasn't there in that weird West Virginia offense. And obviously there's something to his game that led to him being undrafted. But let's see what happens with him because this is the this is what you do here in the late rounds and the undrafted guys. You bet on traits and you hope that your coaching can un unlock that. And I'm just gonna say one more thing, Nick. He's my early pick to be this year's Colin Johnson or last year's Colin Johnson. The year before is David Sills, the dude who just dominates these training camp reps. When you know defenses are not going full speed, there's not pads, it's not game action, but. In camp, you can throw a football up in the red zone, and this dude can high point it and catch it. You're going to get, ooh, ah, from the crowd. And then you start seeing the John Schmelk and Paul Dottino and, and Lance Meadow, Giants.com. Three things we learned from today's practice, and it just keeps flashing. Bryce Ford Wheaton, Bryce Ford Wheaton, Bryce Ford Wheaton. So that's my early pick for him to get a lot of write-ups, a lot of fanfare, and make a lot of those plays in uh, training camp practices. Yeah, I was a little surprised he didn't at least get selected somewhere on day three. And I understand why. He's not as respected as one would imagine with his type of size speed profile. He drops a lot of footballs. You go through his tape. He drops a lot of footballs. He's not necessarily an asset as a blocker, despite his size in terms of positioning and things like that. I think he's fast on the field. Don't get me wrong, but I watch Nebraska Palmer, Trey Palmer. I watch yeah. uh, Scott from Cincinnati. I watch Jalen Hyatt. I watch a lot of these other players. Yeah. Bryce Ford Wheaton might've ran faster than some of those guys at the combine. But to me, like a Tank Dell too, Bryce Ford Wheaton doesn't play to that same speed. I didn't at least think so. I still think he's fast and he's fishing, especially with that size.
but I don't think he's faster than a lot of those other wide receivers in terms of play speed when they're on the football field. That was some of the takeaways I had from his film, but man, six foot three, 223 pounds with that type of length, didn't really produce that much in college, wasn't in the best situation at West Virginia, never had over 675 yards in a given season, had seven touchdowns last year, but finished with only 15 touchdowns in his career, spent five years at West Virginia. I think this is, like you said, a bet on traits type of player. I love the athletic ability, at least from a testing standpoint, and it's definitely worth the bet because there's a lot of upside here. It's just, can you get him to play more consistently and can you find a way to stop dropping the football? Because <laughs> another one where it was like, can you adjust away from your frame? And I haven't yes. seen too much film on him, but the film that I did see, it was like a slant route that he won off the line of scrimmage. You're like, nice. And then the ball was was not placed optimally, but he couldn't catch it. And it was one of those plays where it's like, it still hits you. Can you at least yeah. adjust a little bit better? But still, man, at this point, man, I just, UDFA, sign me up. Yeah, it's a free free investment. It goes like, for example, like the guy that the Bills used, I believe, a fifth round pick on, or is either fifth, a sixth, or a fourth. You can correct me on this. It's been a long weekend. Shorter to me, you know, I'm talking about shorter. Uh, uh, the kid from Florida, right? The kid from Florida. Yeah, yeah. To me, you're making a very similar bet here, but you're getting him for free as a UDFA versus using pretty considerable draft capital because shorter was not productive at all at Florida. I think he had like six touchdowns in five yeah. years there or something absurd there and he's not that much better of an athlete he looks jacked up in that pick thing the picture that's circulating on twitter but that doesn't mean he's a great athlete and so like if you're gonna make these type of bets on these unproductive receivers with hands issues with the with tons of issues from actual playing the position right now and you're just hoping that with these traits your coaches can unlock him i'd rather make these bets with udfa or seventh or sixth round picks than using good draft capital so i thought they did a good job there i agree with you when you talk about the speed like i trey palmer for me was like my my go-to guy that i always said like in the early draft process like why i didn't want jalen hyatt in round one i'm like oh i can just get like a trey palmer or tyler scott in round three or four i feel like his speed was very different those types of players hyatt palmer uh, Scott, th that you're watching a different level of speed. Even the kid from Princeton. Now it's hard to gauge because he's going against Princeton level competition. Uh, so there's not like fast D-backs there. But even him, I felt like separated a lot better uh, than Bryce Ford Wheaton. But those guys don't have the same profile of six foot three and a half, two twenty one. Like this is size and this is length and size, I should say, with also great leaping ability, at least testing wise. Um, so if he can find a way to put it all together, it's an interesting prospect for sure. I watched the pit game and you see plays where he had opportunities to adjust the football at the sidelines and he just did it poorly. He had one play where the quarterback threw the football to him. It was a little high, but very catchable. It's not like he even had to jump because he's such a big wide receiver, but he turns his head before the ball hits him in the hands and then the ball hit him in the helmet, popped up in the air and it was intercepted. And it's just like, oh, like little plays like that. When you see a player who has so much potential, that pisses you off and that frustrates mm -hmm. you. But hey, is there a better coaching staff in the NFL? Maybe the Chiefs might have something to say about this. But in terms of offensive knowledge and getting the most out of players, I feel like the Giants are right up there as one of the best coaching staffs. So let's bet on this player with the size and speed and see what happens. Let's that leads me into just mentioning the pit game leads me into the next UDFA they signed that I have interest in. I think this is how I would break it down here. Bryce Ford Whedon and the player we're about to talk about, I think have the best chance. Eh, I put them in tier one. And then there's one more guy put 
probably close to that tier. And then the rest of the guys a little bit lower for me. And then one guy who I think is just going to be a pure camp body and Tommy DeVito. I don't care what anyone says there. I've seen more than enough Tommy DeVito to know this dude is never going to be playing quarterback at the NFL level. And he's never going to be QB two for the giants. Sorry to say it. I feel bad. Good luck to the kid. Everything like that. Don't get mad at me. But if you want non-homer analysis, watching too much Big Ten to think this dude has any chance, you, you've seen it if you watch Illinois. But and that's a player. We're going to talk about a player who, again, is in this Bryce Ford Wheaton tier. And I'm not going to have any chance to pronounce his name, but we'll try. Habakkuk or Habakkuk? <laughs> Habakkuk? Habakkuk. No, I'm not laughing at the pronunciation pr pronunciation as I screw up the word pronunciation. I'm laughing at the fact that you're just like Haba cock. <laughs> Habakkuk? I don't know. Habakkuk. Just say Haba, bro. That's what I'm Habba. Habba Baldonado out of Pittsburgh. Italian. Six, Italian. Haba Baldonado. How about this? Haba Baldonado here. All right. Just have a Baba Baldonado. Let me get up Haba Baba Baldonado's. RAS score, which was also very good, according to the RAS. Six foot four, just over six foot four, 251, 21 bench press reps, 10 and a half inch hand size, which I thought was really interesting. 33 inch arm length. I also thought that was interesting. Good vert, 35 inches. These are solid numbers, solid vert, solid broad, 10. Uh, 40 yard dash, 470. We don't care about that. Or 476, we don't care about that. Uh, 10 yard split, uh, 20 yard split, average, pretty good. Three cone was pretty good. Seven one one. I think when you're looking, you've said this before, Nick, and I think this was a good take by you. As far as athletic testing goes, what matters most for these edges and these offensive tackles, it's three cone and short shuttle. And he had a really good three cone at seven one one. So this is definitely an interesting prospect. Have you had a chance to look at him at all yet? A little bit. I've only okay. seen a little bit and I'll do a deeper dive in on him. I saw a bunch of his pressures actually. And a lot of them are schemed up via the twist. So he was pretty efficient at just finding the path to the quarterback and 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 kind of harassing him on the twist game. Remember, that was a pretty good defensive front. There was a guy named Kalaja Kansi who was there. I don't feel like he's overly quick or explosive. He had this one move, I think I posted on Twitter, where he had landed a long arm move and showed pretty damn good lower leg drive and power to push the tackle. I think it was against like Central Michigan, though, to push the tackle back into the pocket to flush the quarterback who ended up running out of bounds for no gain. For me, though, I'm a little dubious about his production in college because I didn't see, at least from the tape I saw, him really winning a lot of pass rushing reps. I don't believe he's all that quick or anything like that. I don't think he has too much finesse to his game, but I do need to watch a little bit more film on him. But that was my initial impression, and I'll look to refute that by getting through more film. I haven't seen all that much on him yet, but I've seen the clip you put up and I've seen the clips that some of the other content creators put up. And then I just did a little bit of research on him and I felt the same way as far as the pass rush profile goes. I'm not so sure there's there's as much juice as you would like there, but they might be looking for something completely different out of him. They might not be a guy who they think is going to be this bendy or whatever, this Ed, this guy who's a passing down specialist who comes in to rush the passer. They may be viewing him as somebody who can be maybe an early downs edge setter, maybe someone who could play the run as well. Um, and that's something that I'll be interested to look into as I watch more of him. Like if he has upside, at least for his NFL teams to play the run, because you have 33 inch arms at 251, six foot four, that's pretty, and 10 and a half inch hands. Like that's a pretty solid profile as far as like, can you produce at the NFL level in the run game? Maybe. Yeah, I watched the Virginia game and there was a play in the first quarter. Actually, it was like the first play of the game for the second play of the game where he stacked up the tackle and he did exactly what you said. And that's what I think 
the thought process is. Can you earn this role and maybe take it from a Taman Fox right. where you can come in and be an early downs player that can play 10 to 15 snaps a game on rundowns to spell Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari because he is pretty physical. He has heavy hands. He has big hands and he's also long and he knows how to lock out and shed and discard in terms of the run game overall in terms of rushing the passer. And I don't have his stats in front of me in terms of pressures. I know he had 15 sacks in college and maybe I should get to his 2021 film because in 2022, I didn't really see somebody who was winning all that often in terms of rushing the passer, unless it was a designed twist. There was a lot of attention paid to Kalijah Kansi on the inside, which set him up for a lot of one-on-one battles, which would happen in the NFL as well because the Giants have Dexter Lawrence. But I am probably should go to his 2021 tape to see how he got a lot of those sacks to see if I'm missing something. So I'll reserve yeah. my official judgment until then. Fair. I also think, again, it goes into what Joe Shane said after the draft about what Wink Martindale is looking, at, looking for in his offensive line. He's looking for length, hand size, and the ability, length, and the and size and frame and the ability to knock back. That's what he kept saying, knock back. And so well, he has that. And he, he has, has that. that. Right. Yeah. So it's like similar to the the player they took in the seventh round. There's two players right now who have that ability and they're going to compete. And I'm sure they saw that in D- DJ Davidson last year as well. Though it is interesting because as we mentioned before, Joe Shane did say he has a much better feel this year for what Wink Martindale wants out of these players. And I think that's fair to say. All right, let's get to another player here. This player was the third player, I would say, who was um more in so the two players we discussed already as UDFAs are players who some people thought would be drafted. This is the third player I think some people thought would be drafted. And it's at a position the Giants ignored throughout their entire draft, though despite them ignoring it, it's definitely a position they still need to add talent to. Despite adding one great player this offseason, we wanted more. Nick and I, we're not going to get it this draft. We're not going to get our guy unless this is our dude. So let's start with the guy who maybe can be the UDFA who fills that role. You never know, right? Like uh, TJ Edwards was an undrafted free agent for the Eagles a few years ago and became their best linebacker on a Super Bowl team. So you just don't know. I think linebacker is a position where you have a better chance to do that. So it's Troy Brown, the linebacker out of Mississippi. And I actually saw him in a lot of mocks of the Giants in the pre-draft process. And somebody who maybe can fill a role for them if all things break right. He's six foot, just under six foot one, 223 pounds, 47440, but really good in the 10 yard split and the th- and the 20 yard split, 157 and 264. So definitely one of those athletes who's definitely quicker more than faster. Uh, short shuttle, 773, not terrible. Three cone, 74, not great though. But 38 inch vertical and almost 11 foot, 10 foot seven broad, which are also elite explosiveness numbers. So maybe something there as an athlete. Any thoughts on Troy Brown out of Mississippi? I need to watch the film on him, but a 38 inch vertical and then a 10 seven broad as a UDFA is pretty impressive from that position. And he's not yeah. the biggest guy, like you said, just under 6'1, 223 pounds. We'll have to wait and see what he looks like on tape again. But I'll take those baseline athletic traits to bet on at this point of the draft, which is after the draft and an undrafted free agency. Yeah. And then another linebacker they signed, Deontay Johnson. This is out of Toledo, six foot two, just over six foot two, 235, 23 bench press reps, which is pretty impressive for 235. Uh, the rest of the athletic testing, we probably don't want to get into besides one thing. So now we're seeing a trend, right? With these UDFA linebackers, it's the 10 yard split, one six flat. So both of these UDFA linebackers had good 10 yard splits. I think in general, the NFL is moving toward focus on the 10 yard split for the linebacker position. Do you have that quickness? Do you have that acceleration? Because let's be honest, if you're a linebacker, you're mostly playing within 10 yards. Like, why do I care about what kind of 40 yard dash you run? Unless you're Fred Warner, nobody's really covering the scene as a, as a linebacker. Maybe Dan Henley can do it too, but I don't know. And, and there's a few others in this class who at least project as potentially fits there, but most guys can't. Um, this three cone was 
and the short shuttle were were not were 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 pretty much disastrous numbers there. Nothing you want to get into. And then obviously from a vertical and broad jump jump standpoint, really bad stuff there. Twenty eight and a half inch vert. So not a very explosive athlete, not a very change of direction type of athlete, at least testing wise. But maybe the film will tell a different story, Nick. But definitely someone with quickness and burst. Or do any any thoughts on Deontay Johnson? shockingly bad vertical (laughs) at 28 and a half. But this is somebody who, and I actually watched tape on him. He's a long player who was aligned all throughout Toledo's defense. He aligned on the edge at times. He aligned at apex sometimes. Doesn't have bad height. You could tell that he has a wide tackle wingspan. I said meh, speed and instincts. I have written down, which isn't all that great. Does bring violence when he tees up his hits. I did not mind his Ohio State tape. Actually, I felt like it was probably one of the better tapes I saw. I also saw Liberty and a little bit of Kent State, but I felt like against Ohio State, man, specifically in the first half, and there was a play that he was absolutely buried by Dewan Jones. So let's forget about that. But there was a couple plays where it was him against a tight end, and he was doing a really good job getting his shoulder, his inside shoulder, setting to the outside, containing as the contained defender, getting that inside shoulder low, and then dipping around contact, squaring up to the running back and making the tackle. And he did that like two or three times against Ohio State. And I was like, okay, there we go. He played Sam. He played Will. He was playing all over the place, like I said a little bit ago, man. When they were in a five-man front, he did play Sam, which we know Wink Martindale is looking for players who can execute Sam type of roles. And this is a six foot two, 235-pound linebacker. So that's pretty solid size. But I did not love him in pursuit. It was another one where it was like when he had the angle on the running back, I didn't feel like he was all that quick to close with and get to the hip to make the tackle. And I also thought in coverage, it was pretty poor. He almost had an interception against CJ Stroud, though. And you look at that, you're like, man, he's a coverage linebacker. But then I think I saw, I think it was Kent State or Liberty, one of those two games where people were just running right past him and he just looked lost out there in coverage. So I have my question marks about Deontay Johnson in coverage. I like how big he is and how physical he can be when he actually tees the tackle up. But this is a UDFA and I can see why he is. These are all UDFAs. There's going to be question marks throughout all of them. Alex Cook's the next one reported. Strong safety out of Washington State. 3.58 relative athletic score. This is, again, not a bet on traits prospect. This is definitely someone they just like the film of. Um, I don't need to get into too much of his athletic testing. Everything was bad across the board except for the broad jump was average. Um, and the shuttle and the three-cone change of direction skills were both above average into the good range. So... Bad 40, bad, bad acceleration, bad explosiveness, but change of direction, according to the athletic testing, at least was pretty good. So maybe that's an athlete that they, maybe that's somebody they can mold in their system. Any thoughts on him? No, I don't really have anything on a lot of these other UDFAs. It would just be me rattling off stats and trying to extemporize and just come up with words. So I think I'm okay. Okay. Tommy DeVito quarterback out of Illinois. I mentioned earlier, I don't have much faith for, but I think he can be a camp arm. The Giants needed a camp arm, and at least he has athleticism, which I think they're trying to get behind Daniel Jones. Like they did it with Tyrod Taylor. They signed him to a two-year contract. They had interest in some players in this class of athleticism. Hendon Hooker, Clayton Toon is another player they brought in for a, for a top 30 visit. Somebody who also was athletic. I think that's where we're going to, going to eventually get our QB2. I don't know if it'll be DeVito. Um, but he did have a 4.58 40-yard dash, which is good. 20-yard split was good. 10-yard split was good. Actually, they're more than good. They were great numbers. So definitely an athlete playing the quarterback position. But 6-1-2-10. Uh, one other good thing, though, about him, 10 and one-eighth inch hands, right? So that's that's something that's intriguing, right? The hand size thing here. So maybe Tommy DeVito can be a camp arm for them. 
And it's Don Bosco, kid, you know, yeah, represent. Yeah, Cedar Grove, New Jersey, baby. Yeah, grew up near Cedar Grove. So I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. It was a little harsh on him in the beginning, but maybe you can you can prove everyone wrong here, Tommy DeVito. Um, just not, I guess. Watching the Big Ten wasn't wasn't thrilled to see any kind of athletic or I should say NFL projection there, but who knows? Cameron Lyons, long snapper out of Charlotte. I don't think we need to say much about that. They signed a long snapper there. Getting a long snapper, I'm sure he'll compete with Casey Kreider. And I think those were all the UDFAs that were reported so far. I'm looking through now. Just I have a couple that. more, okay. but I don't I have, have anything on their skill set. Sure. And again, we're not 100% certain, but this is on Giants country. Linebacker Orion Vance from Iowa State, 6'2", 260 pounds. Offensive lineman Khalil Keith out of Baylor, 314 pounds, 6'5". Garrett Mogg out of North Dakota, wide receiver, 6'4", 210 pounds. Wide receiver Carlos Correa, something like that. Correa, uh-huh, like the Astro or the Met. Where is he now, Carlos Correa? Twins. Twins, see? Me and baseball. They go together. Central Michigan, six foot five, two hundred three pounds. I don't know anything about him, but that's intriguing. Tight end Kimor Gamble at a UCF, six foot four, two hundred thirty-six pounds. Tight end Ryan Jones at ECU, six foot three, two hundred and forty-seven pounds. And I also saw a cornerback somewhere in here. His name is Jamon Green out of Michigan, six foot two, one hundred and eighty-six pounds. Again, these are reported signings, but that's the list over at Giants Country. And those are your UDFAs. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter podcast. This is our day three recap, plus a little brief overview of UDFAs. We hope you enjoyed it. Keep it locked and loaded on Big Blue Banter. We're obviously not going to be doing a podcast a day in the month of May, uh, but we'll be staggering them throughout the weeks. We have an interview I'm really excited for coming up next week, and we're going to take an overview of the draft as well. And then eventually I want to get into a podcast of projecting the roles for these rookies in year one. I think that'll be an interesting one to look through each one. That'll help us kind of get into each position group that these guys play and look into the other players that are currently on the roster and see what kind of roles they may have. And will they be pushed by some of these players as early as year one for their roles that they they had last year, but they might not have again this year. So just some things on the docket to look forward to. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.